Well, good morning. It is good to see you on what is a beautiful spring morning. Spring has sprung. The days feel different. The days are longer. We anticipate Easter and Easter morning worship together in two weeks. Uh, a year ago this morning was Easter Sunday. And now we await two more weeks and we'll celebrate together. You heard the announcement that will be in the sanctuary for Maundy Thursday, 6 p.m. service, and for Easter Sunday morning. That's our plan. So look forward to that, and let's look forward to celebrating as we gather together. We are looking at the Scriptures and asking the question, what would the church look like and be like, and what would her purpose and goals best look like at a church like Greenwood Presbyterian Church? And I've told you the last few weeks, this is an exciting time. It certainly is for me. Um, we have had classes where we've met with some of you, about 40 of you, who are considering joining Greenwood Presbyterian Church. Last Sunday, we had a class with about 25 children and youth who are ready to profess their faith and to come to the Lord's table. And here's an announcement. Next week, next Sunday morning, I anticipate that we're going to have some baptisms, particularly baptisms of children who want to profess their faith in Jesus. And so if you're hearing that announcement this morning and somehow you feel like you've slipped through the cracks or maybe the week had you forget to communicate with us that you, you would like to come to the table, even for Maundy Thursday uh, for that worship service, would you come and see me afterwards today? Uh, we're going to be interviewing communicants today and new members as well. But I would love to know if any of you would like to take advantage of next Sunday being a baptismal Sunday. That's a good opportunity and we should do that together. This morning we're considering a subject for the second week in a row. Last week we considered hospitality. And I know you well enough, you went home and you went through that card catalog recipe book and you were looking for great-great-grandma's fudge recipe so that you could then grab the church directory and start thinking, now who am I going to invite over to have fudge in the coming weeks of spring, right? We did this, right? We did this. Um, maybe it's not fudge, maybe it's something else. I just want to encourage you again. Be bold and be intentional to invite the unfamiliar face or faces or families and say, hey, we've got extra food, we've got extra dessert and coffee, come join us one evening, whatever it would be, whatever's comfortable for you. Uh, we want to be a church that practices hospitality in our own homes and, of course, here in our facility, this local church. We look forward to the day coming when luncheons and fellowships are even more routine than they've been in the last two years of COVID. Our men of the church enjoyed a nice fellowship this past Thursday out at the barn. We had low country boil and uh, devotional time together to look to the scriptures and ask the question, what is a man? What is a man according to the Bible? Uh, our women are getting together on April the 24th, I think it is, 23rd it is, Saturday. And we'll have a speaker and a fellowship at the barn as well. We really want to be a culture that gets together. Not because we have to, but because we get to, right? 
It is a means of grace. It is a fellowship that God's given His church as a gift. So last week, hospitality. This week, I want to underscore fellowship. So many passages of Scripture about fellowship. I'm just going to scratch the surface in an introductory way. And we'll explore this subject certainly more in Sundays in the future. But give your attention, had to pick one passage, give your attention to the opening reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A passage that I love to use in weddings. I've used it in recent months in a wedding uh, here at GPC. It certainly applies to marriage as a friendship and to the special relationship of two in marriage. But it applies to humanity in general and to the church family for sure. So let's pray that God would bless our understanding and application of it. Lord, would you open our eyes this morning either to remind us of things that maybe we've forgotten or to teach us new things. And with that being reminded or with that learning, Lord, I pray that our hearts might burn within us to experience community and fellowship and friendship the way you've gifted your people to have it. So do that in us, Lord. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fellowship. So what do you mean? What do you mean by fellowship? It's a little bit of a strange word, thinking of our children. Fellowship is not a word maybe we use real frequently. Fellowship, you mean when the fate of Middle Earth hangs in the balance. As Frodo and eight companions who form the Fellowship of the Ring, when they begin their journey to Mount Doom in the land of Mordor, the only place where that ring can be destroyed. You mean, you mean that kind of fellowship? Is that what we have in store? Because that sounds very exciting, doesn't it? Uh, we are a church of hobbits. Another sermon on that another day. But that's not quite the fellowship that I mean. So, so what do you mean? You mean when that 12-year-old named Scott Smalls, moves in the summer of 1962 to a suburb of Los Angeles. And though he's unable to catch or throw a baseball, he gets invited to join the neighborhood kids' baseball team thanks to the kindness of the team star, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, who forges a lifelong brotherhood a brotherhood of fellowship among the nine boys of the Sandlot. I certainly hope you knew where I was going with that. If not, you have some movie watching to do. 
So these are beautiful pictures of fellowship that are in our culture that have been given to us in writing and in film. Beautiful stories of fellowship. Some of you, you know, you can get, um, your hairs can stand up on your, the back of your neck when you think about the beauty of fellowship in some of those stories. For me, it's the Sandlot. For you, it might be Lord of the Rings. Beautiful stories of people being knit together with a brotherhood and a companionship, of a loving of one another. Those are beautiful stories of fellowship, but this morning I want to say loudly and clearly that as great as they are, there's something better in store for you. Something that God says He gives His church, He gives His people, that we're supposed to be enjoying and doing. And of course, you know, that's the application that I want to lovingly press on every one of us and our households is that we would really seek out fellowship and really seek to provide it for one another because, as we'll see, we desperately need it. So a few short points this morning. Number one, well, what is Christian fellowship? You could talk about medical fellowships, academic fellowships, all kinds of fellowships. But what is Christian fellowship according to the Bible, according to Scripture? Well, first, as has become customary for me, let's say what it's not. Christian fellowship is not cokes and jokes. Christian fellowship is not just hanging out. Now, those are great things, and I enjoy them. I enjoy cokes and jokes. I enjoy just hanging out. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it says Christian fellowship. Neither is Christian fellowship the dulling of a person. Christian fellowship is not a fellowship of darkness. It's a fellowship of light. It's not being discipled in unbelief. It's not being discipled in skepticism. It's not being discipled in cynicism. That's not Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship is not anything that hardens hearts. Rather, Christian fellowship is the opposite of all of that. Here again, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk ourselves in the darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. Okay, so fellowship is not in darkness. It's a fellowship of light. Also, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And so you see the reason for my emphasizing that it's, Christian fellowship is not just hanging out. It's not just chewing the fat. Christian fellowship is not getting together with people we have um, the love of sin in common with. That is a kind of fellowship, but that is a dark fellowship. God is calling us out of a fellowship of darkness 
which we naturally pursue, and He's calling us into something supernatural that only He can work in us. And that is a desire to fellowship in the light, to fellowship in righteousness and the pursuit of righteousness with other people. So what is fellowship? Said positively. Uh, You've heard the language of kindred spirits, brotherly spirits, people who share a oneness in their values, in their goals, in their beliefs. That certainly is at the heart of Christian fellowship. There's a oneness to a people that agree that share a oneness in their perspective of themselves and of God and of God's world. So it's a kindred spirit, a shared oneness. And here's a few attributes that we could find from Scripture that describes what Christian fellowship should be. First and foremost, it's it's gospel community. It's Christ-centered community where Christ is at the very center of the people and their reason for gathering. So there might be cokes and there might be jokes, but that wouldn't be the substance of the time together, right? So when our men get together at the barn this past Thursday, I mean, we could have just had low country boil, but that would have been a subcategory of Christian fellowship. We were intentional to make sure that we were a sharpening, equipping time together, and we looked to God's Word for, I would say, 20 minutes. They would probably say 40 minutes. Let's call it 30. And so we want to make sure that we bring the substance to bear, right? We want to make sure that we're intentional because we would default in our own appetites to maybe just cokes and jokes, maybe just some pizza here and there and just hang out and call it fellowship. But Christian fellowship is something meatier. It's something more substantial. And while being substantial, it is also enjoyable. So when you hear Pastor Paul talk about, well, we got to have substance. We want to have some substance. Part of you may be like, oh boy, that means it's got to be boring, right? I just don't think that's true. My aspiration for our fellowship would be that it's substantial and enjoyable, right? That it's both. That we get to model to the world what it is to be a people of substance who really enjoy being together, And caring for one another. Hebrews chapter 10, the passage that we heard already this morning, says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on in love and good deeds. And that's the language of intentionality. To say, let us consider, is to say, now think about, think about this, how you may spur one another on in love and good deeds. So Christian fellowship should have some intentionality to it. We should be thinking, when we provide the fellowship as a church, there should be some consideration into how are we going to spur our men on in love and good deeds? Or how are we going to spur our women on in love and good deeds? Or how are we going to spur our youth on in love and good deeds? It takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen. It usually happens because it's been thought through and created with intentionality. And so that is the nature of Christian fellowship. It's gospel community. It's both substantial and enjoyable. And thirdly, it's edifying and encouraging. Meaning 
If we experience Christian fellowship, we should not leave that time and feel beat up and discouraged. We should feel edified. We should feel strengthened. If done well, we should leave Christian fellowship and say, that was time well spent. That was time well spent. I'm glad I did that this week. Right? It should be edifying and encouraging of the faith, not tearing down, not discouraging, but encouraging. Healthy faith and healthy Christian practice. And then fourthly, it should be a sharpening time. The opposite of dulling us, it should make us sharper instruments, more useful instruments in the kingdom of God through time spent with one another. And in all of this, all four of those things, I want you to see that fellowship really is intentional, really is useful, and it really is a gift of God. It's something that He does for our good. He blesses us by enabling us to, let's call it, knit together with other individuals. Now that is a special gift of God, and I don't want to pretend, I don't want you to hear me say, well, Pastor Paul makes it sound like everybody in here should be the best of friends. And the truth is, there are personalities in here that I just don't feel like I'm going to be best of friends with. Or there are people who don't have my personality, my sense of humor, so I just don't see it. It is a special gift of God when a people can knit together despite their differences. It can happen. Uh, in order to get along with people, in order to love people, you don't have to be exactly the same. Duke fans, North Carolina fans this morning, some of you are here. There's Christian fellowship to be had between you. I know it was a rough time last night as they played and one went forward to the championship now and the other went home. You don't have to cheer for the same team. Gamecocks and Tigers can have Christian fellowship. There's something greater than what separates us. And it's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's that I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and we found a common redeemer, the one redeemer, who enables us to come to his table and experience his forgiveness. It's a special gift of God that overcomes our differences and that is able to knit us together. Listen to what's said in the Old Testament about this special gift of knitting together of friends and fellowship. 1 Samuel chapter 18 Verse 1 and from verse 2 and 3 says this, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now in that culture, in that time, covenant making personally between people and the giving of these articles of protection, of defense, of what you would wear, this is a powerful statement of oneness, of care for one another. It's a picture of Christian fellowship. It's a picture of loving another person and loving them well. That is a gift of God. 
when children play together and trade toys out of their, tool, out of their toy box. Right? Here, you, you can take this. Right? That's a sweet, sincere love from a child when they start forsaking the, their own tools, not tools, it's not toolbox, toys in their toy box and say, you can have this or you can play with my truck. That's a beautiful statement of sincerity. And that's what's happening here between David and Jonathan. And it can happen even now between God's people. It's a special gift. It's available to all, but God works it specially in the lives of some. And we should pray for it. We should work for it. That God would knit our souls together with such companionship. Number two, why do we need it? Why do we need this fellowship? Well, really, it's the meat of the sermon found in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12, the passage that we already read. There is a necessity of fellowship in the human race, in human people. And we see it as early as creation in Genesis 1 and 2. That God created the man by the word of his power in the space of six days. All of creation, he said, is good. But he said what? It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him, or literally according to the opposite of him. Something very different that will fit and complement him perfectly from God's creating perspective. And so from the very beginning, the human being, Adam, is not meant to be alone. Now this is unique to the beautiful picture of marriage. And Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is beautifully applied to marriage. But we know in the Christian life that we're not supposed to be alone. There are no lone rangers that thrive in the Christian faith. We're supposed to love and care and support and help one another. So there's a necessity to fellowship. A few reasons. Number one, because we're lonely without it. We're lonely when we're the only one at work who believes what we believe. When you're the only one on your team that believes what you believe. When you're the only one in your class that believes and speaks up the way that you believe and speak up, there's a, there are lonely feelings to be had out there. And you know in your heart that it's, that's not best. It's best when there's at least another, someone else who shares with you what it is to have fellowship, to believe what you believe, to share your values, your purposes, and your goals. Number two, without fellowship, we're also what I'm going to call mediocre. We're not what we can be. We're not what we should be. But with the right people around us, we are better. We are better at who we are and better at doing what we do. We push one another. We encourage one another. We sharpen one another. And so without fellowship, we'll get dull. Our instrument becomes dull, and we're not as useful, we're not as effective as when we have healthy fellowship in our life. We're mediocre in that way. And then thirdly, without fellowship, the truth is we're easily defeated by our spiritual foe, our spiritual opponent. Man, when left to yourself, it's hard to do anything in this world. Now, some of you super overachievers... You run alone, you go to the gym alone, you do everything alone. But others of you who are not so good alone, you resonate with this and you understand, yeah, I, if I don't have somebody to go to the gym with, I'm not going. I'm not running, I'm not biking, I'm not walking, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Two are better than one. 
There's a good return for their work. They get more done when they work shoulder to shoulder, side by side, co-laboring together. All right, the power of fellowship. I want you to think about this for a moment. If, if this is a gift from God, if fellowship is something, is there a power to it that without it we're left weaker than we should be? Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And the imagery there seems to be, as you would picture it, the forging and the shaping of an instrument, which tends to be by what? Friction and conflict. Now that sounds like a lot of the relationships between men that I know. Friction and conflict, right? Barking at each other. What do you mean? Right? Well, there's something to Christian fellowship that is a shaping, can be barking, correcting, redirecting kind of influence. And the scriptures say we need that. Men and women alike need it. But men need each other in particularly to sometimes create sparks. Little friction, little redirection, a little shaping comes as iron sharpens iron. And so it's powerful. Fellowship in this way is powerful. And it's used positively by God to call us to repent to encourage our souls, to keep us accountable in matters of life and discipline. It's helpful in enabling us to grow in wisdom. Now the truth is, one of the benefits of fellowship and having it in your life is that you have another person who's processing what it means to obey the Scriptures. And you get to learn from the benefit of somebody who maybe has lived through the season of life that you're currently in. I bet you our college girls would tell you they would love to have conversation and tea with some older women who have been through the phase of life that they're in. Some of our younger mothers who are juggling young children or many children, they would love to talk to older mothers who survived that season of life who found ways to sustain their, their mind and their sanity and their health because we learn from others, right? How did you do it? How did you survive? Um, there are all kinds of great and healthy conversations to be had. Our young men would love to have conversations with our older men. And I bet you some of our youth would love to have conversations with our young men where wisdom can be spoken from experience. And so that's the nature of fellowship. It's gaining wisdom from one another and from other people's experience of God and His Word as they've lived it out in their life. And then succinctly said, fellowship and the power of it is really found in that we're better together. We're better together than we are alone. And that seems to be the theme of the Ecclesiastes 4 passage. Two are better than one. Why? Because if you fall down, you've got somebody who can pick you up. It's not up to you. You've got someone whose strength can lift you in your weakness. You have a helper. You have someone to warm you on a cold evening. 
And you're stronger. You're stronger. You're more balanced. You're able to stand in all the conflict that life has to offer. So fellowship in that way really does make us better. Which would make it obvious to say the better the fellowship, the better the church. Right? The stronger, the healthier the individuals when there is a culture of healthy fellowship and friendship and community. That's an easy argument to make. Thirdly, then why do we lack it? Some of you would say, I lack fellowship. I just, I don't, I don't have it. Well, why? Why do you and I tend to lack the rich and meaningful fellowship that God's Word says we should have? Number one, we are busy people doing important things. Every one of us, you are busy. You are busy people. Um, last week, we had seven soccer games in our household. Seven. We're busy people doing important things. Now, how important is soccer? Well, on the one hand, now I shouldn't say it's not a sport. Um, on the one hand, it is a great sport. But on the other hand, There's more to life than your kids playing sports, right? There is. But if they're playing, I'm there. If I can be there, I'm going to be there. I love to see my, all of my children who played sports being there, and seeing them build camaraderie with their teammates, learn the joy of victory and the agony of defeat, right? It's all a part of growing up. And so Christian fellowship is huge. It should be a priority. But So we're in a season where soccer crowds out a lot of other good things. And that's where as individuals and as Christians, everybody's got to make their own choices. For us, we enjoy living through the weeks that have seven soccer games. And maybe there's less fellowship for mom and dad in that season of life. But that season, the page always turns, right? Summer comes, school's over, sport ends. Then you've got to be intentional about what you try to do with fellowship in your life. So I offer that personal example because I know so many of you are living through the same thing. And if you play year-round sports, it's especially hard. But you need fellowship, and your children need fellowship. Your spouse needs fellowship. Everybody needs rich, deep, meaningful fellowship. But we are a busy people and they are important things that we're doing. Number two, we're also distracted by other things. Maybe they're not as important, but they still distract us and they occupy our attention. I was reminded this week of a book from 1985, some of you are familiar with, Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. When in 1985 he was writing about entertainment, culture, and television. And how much television was redefining the thinking and the participation in humanity and in culture that televisions were doing in our homes. And I couldn't find the quote, but what I heard as I was listening to something said this. That in the book he says, But televisions are at least getting bigger and bigger in size, which gives them the potential to be community gathering settings. 
And so those of you who remember the 80s and the 90s and TVs getting bigger and bigger and you could have little watch parties and gather people. And, and there was a sense in which, okay, but at least it's gathering people in community. Now that was in 1985. Think about what's true today. Yes, TVs are getting bigger and bigger and they can be community gathering in a sense. But they have never been smaller and more individualized and privatized as they are now. And in households like mine and like yours, every individual can be now consumed with a screen. And it's gone even beyond this. Now you can buy headsets, virtual reality headsets, for a party of one in a world that only one knows and sees. And it's so easy to now withdraw from community and fellowship. And so just think about that. Fellowship is key. We've got to learn how to have it. We've got to learn how to enjoy it. But everything in our world makes it a little bit harder. It makes it a little bit easier to withdraw and to be an individual. And there is no easier, no easier object of spiritual prey than a lone individual outside of community. It's community where there's strength in numbers. And that's part of the reason why we need it so de desperately. Okay, why we lack it, number three. We're too picky, if I can just say that. We're too picky. Well, I want friends and I want fellowship, but mm, these people need to be more like me. Right? They need to have my sense of humor, my interests. They need to talk about the exact same things I want to talk about. That's not a fellowship that shapes you. That's just a cult of personality that looks like yourself. And so we can be so picky, picky, picky. But the truth is, and I told college students this for years. Okay, the people may seem weird. The ones who show up for church or for, for ministry, they may seem weird to you. But they're God's people. They're God's people that He's put in your life. Now go get to know them. Go find out their stories. Go find that He will work through them in you and through you in them. So don't be so picky picky to say, yeah, well, this small group's not for me or this fellowship group's not for me. Don't be so picky. They're God's people. And God may give you exactly what you need, exactly where you didn't think you would find it. That tends to be how he works. So don't be so picky that you miss out on the fellowship that God has given you. Okay, fourthly, lastly, we'll finish with this. How Jesus provides the fellowship that you and I need. Now there's more substance here than I can do in a short time. But the bottom line of fellowship is that God has created it, He's gifted it, and the source of it is our fellowship with God before we have fellowship with one another. It has to come in that order. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, we're told, We proclaim to you that we have seen what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, there's a horizontal fellowship with each other that comes after a vertical fellowship with God, the triune God. 
And so if we don't have fellowship with God, we certainly wouldn't be interested in fellowship with his people. We would find them to be weird and undesirable to be with. But if they have fellowship with God, and if we have fellowship with God, then we have this mysterious fellowship with one another. Something that can hardly be described. It was described in Acts chapter 2 in this way. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what's called the fellowship of the saints. And the saints, of course, is a holy one. Not because of their own doing, but because of their faith in the one true saint, Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. And when a sinner puts their faith in the one true Holy One of God, he calls them holy ones. He calls them saints because of His righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. And then He says, okay, all you sinners, you're brothers and sisters. You're the church. You're the family of God. And that is the mystery of this fellowship, that every one of us comes into it not because we deserve it, but because the one true saint reached out to us, convinced us of our sin and our misery, and called us to himself by faith to transfer our sin for his righteousness that he gives us freely. And in that way, you and I are saints of God, not because we deserve it, not because we really even live like it. And he calls us brothers and sisters, the family of God. Every one of us, we come in the same exact way by faith in Jesus. And all of that he calls the fellowship of his family table. All these misfits, all these hobbits, all these weirdos and all of their sins, we're all called together to come to the family table. And we come because of Jesus. And we have a fellowship because of Jesus. And we eat and we drink of Jesus himself. And for the glory of God, because we're His church. That's who we are. And so in closing, I would say this. If all that is true, and I believe that it is, then at GPC, let us consider how we may spur one another on in love and good deeds, and how an enjoyable mutual fellowship with one another could be at the heart of our growth, even in hard seasons of life, very busy seasons of life, where our older women pursue fellowship with our younger women, our older men pursue fellowship with our younger men, through men's fellowship, women's fellowship, youth fellowships, every fellowship opportunity we could help create as we consider, let us consider how we do it, with intentionality. Then our little church might be so blessed as to help sharpen the instruments 
that we would be even more useful in the hands of a living God. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we give you a humble and a hearty thanks this morning that we've not been left alone, but that you have blessed us with one another. And Lord, if we've been too picky to appreciate the brothers and sisters you've given us, whether here or at school or on our teams or at work, Lord, may you give us new eyes to see them as brothers and sisters, for that is what they are. So Lord, as we prepare to come to the table and as we lift our hearts in song, would you knit us together in fellowship? That as every one of us comes to the table, knowing we come in one name, the name of Jesus, may our hearts be knit together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask it and we pray it together in Jesus' name. Amen.